Hey everyone, Rachel here. I just want to give a quick content warning about this episode. In this episode, we do mention drug addiction and sexual assault. Stay safe out there and I hope you enjoy the show. Season 1, Episode 9, Rory's Dance. Rory has a winter formal at school. While she struggles to find her place alongside her peers and with Dean, Lorelai and Emily stay home navigating their own relationship as mother and daughter. I'm your host, Rachel Foss. I'm very excited about my guest today. With me on the podcast is Benny. You may know him as the Gilmore Gay. Hi, Benny. Thanks so much for being here. (laughs) Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. I am the one who is excited. I've been following Benny's videos on TikTok and Instagram, and they are hilarious. I've been sending the, what I would say in my therapist session about Gilmore Girls to all my friends because they're so good that's my new favorite series i'm doing right now so i'm so glad the one that i have been sending to everybody is the one where you talk about it wasn't lorelei it wasn't her grandparents it was just mariano (laughs) oh my gosh so i'm so excited to have you here today It's going to be so much fun. But I wanted to ask you, obviously, you have to be pretty familiar with Gilmore Girls because you have your own stuff going on. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your relationship and history with Gilmore Girls? Yeah, so I actually first started watching Gilmore Girls when it was on ABC at 5 o'clock every single weekday. ABC Family, excuse me. Yeah. Um, Part of that little lineup. And so me and my sister, Suzanne, would like watch it. I was younger, so I was just like watching it on and off. And then she moved to New York and I just began to watch the show. And I was like, my sister's in the house with me, like when she wasn't there. And just became like this almost like comforting, like my best friend isn't here, but she is. And then I just like found that I was just not watching anything but these DVDs because I ended up buying them after that. Slowly but surely, I just started to develop this obsession with this show and my whole family grew to love it. And so that's how it's kind of has meant something to us. It's always like in really hard times. It's just been like, ah, there's Gilmore Girls and I just feel good. I just want to go to Stars Hollow and be there. So yeah. That is so beautiful and lovely. I totally can understand that feeling. Well, this is exciting because I know you're bringing a lot of history to the episode today as well. Yeah. We'll be releasing this episode a lot later, not until 2021, but right now it's right before Christmas and it's the second to last day of Hanukkah. You been doing anything, any like fun holiday celebrations? My roommate is actually Jewish, so we have been observing Hanukkah, which is pretty exciting because I've never done that before. So I've been learning how to make latkes and kugel. I observe Christmas, so it's like really cool to get to observe a different holiday entirely. I was a little stressed. I thought I had to get eight gifts per person. I found out that was not the case. So my wallet was happy because I was having a panic attack. (laughs) Um. You know, at the end of the day, it's just about being together. And Hanukkah is such a wonderful holiday to celebrate, especially this year, because it's all about hope and perseverance and seeing through trials. 
Right. On that high note, that positive yes. note, let's get into this episode. Yes! So this is season one, episode nine, Rory's Dance, written by Amy Sherman Palladino and aired on December 20th, 2000. We open this episode at the Gilmore Maison. The Gilmore girls are all at the table for Friday night dinner, and this includes Emily, but not Richard, because Richard is in Prague, a beautiful historic city. Yet the first thing that Rory thinks about is Vaclav Havel. Of course. <laughs> so Vaclav Havel was the last president of former Czechoslovakia and the first president of the Czech Republic from 1993 to 2003. The cell that Rory is referring to is from his time spent as a political prisoner because even he was a playwright, which I find amazing. Wow. I don't think a playwright could be a president in the United States. It just wouldn't work. No. But he was a playwright and a political activist. The cell that Rory is referring to specifically was actually at a former convent. So during the airing of this episode, the building was working as a hostel, like she said, and it was called the Pension Unitas. But it closed in 2006 and has opened again as Unitas Hotel. Even though we are still dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic right now, so you can't, I don't think you can go there right now. Who knows what's happening in Czech Republic? They could be doing a lot better than us. But I did look and you can still rent a room at this hotel, at this location, for as low as 59 euro or $72 American. Really? Oh my gosh. (laughs) So that is quite a good deal. Well, despite that very interesting fact, Rory, you freaking weirdo, Lorelai does seem a little bit interested. And so she responds with, great, then we can go to Turkey and stay at that place in Midnight Express. (laughs) Lorelai is referencing the 1978 film Midnight Express, which is a film about a young American who gets caught smuggling drugs out of Turkey and is sent to prison in Istanbul. This is also a very early moment when Rory and Lorelai discuss their planned Euro trip. So Lorelai doesn't like avocado. How do you feel? I love avocado. Okay, good. And I have many friends of mine that don't love avocado. I don't get it. I love avocado. I will eat it straight out, some salt and pepper, maybe a little bit of Greek yogurt. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Well, since we're focusing on Lorelai, let's talk about Lorelai's Friday night dinner outfit. Because she's wearing this baby blue, but with neon green cuffs, which is interesting. She has many of these type things. These cuffs, they seem to be a constant trend. I, the one I always think about the most is from the second season. It should have been Lorelai. And she wears that weird, like, almost sheer dress with the weird cuffs. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, what is this fashion choice? What What is it? I really, uh, if it wasn't for those neon green cuffs, but I don't hate this top on her because I I think I kind of like the baby blue on her. It looks nice. And she's also rocking this very dark lipstick and most importantly, the black choker, which is so 90s. It's so 90s, so Charlotte Russe. I used to wear so many black chokers, but I'm, I'm not willing to go back to the 90s. It's just not worth it. 
Well, Lorelai finds out that Rory has a formal coming up. That, of course, is the point of this episode, isn't it? (laughs) But Rory is hesitant about the dance to Emily's dismay. Lorelai says maybe she doesn't want to go to the dance because she told her that she might get auctioned off to a motorcycle gang from Sausalito. Now, we're going to stop here for a second. I've never understood that reference. It's one of the many references in the show that I've just kind of heard and just kept on walking because Uh what does it mean? I looked into it and it's honestly kind of an awful reference. We're going to talk about it. So we'll go a little bit deeper but I still think it was very inappropriate for just how it was used. Lorelai is referencing the plot of the 1967 film, The Born Losers. It's a film based off a true story involving the Hells Angels from a few years earlier. In the movie, a motorcycle gang from Sausalito, California, kidnaps teenage girls to beat and sexually assault them. That's the reference that Lorelai is using against her daughter. To her mother. Even just that is just kind of like, lit. So you wonder, what the hell is Lorelai thinking here? Well, we have to go another step further into this reference, and then it kind of does make a little bit more sense for Lorelai. Now, even though I still think this is an absolutely awful reference for Lorelai to bring up, the movie The Born Losers is a first of the Billy Jack movies starring Tom Laughlin. And in fact, we already know, well, you and I already know, that this is one of Lorelai's favorite movies yep. because she says so in season two when they're watching it we'll actually see the movie that this comment is referencing in season two which i think is pretty cool that's like smart on amy's part that's some good continuity we know from watching a future episode that current Lorelai has seen that movie many, many, many times. So you can assume that she's, you know, she's just a person who's bringing up a reference to a film that she knows really well. I think it's awful, but when you think about the world around Lorelai, I guess it makes sense. You know, I've been thinking about this. I'm really glad you kind of brought this up. Because of the absurdity of it, it's this, like, off-the-wall, oh, my gosh, the biker people. But I think for her, it's, like, it's absurd. It's comedy is sometimes about bringing to light the terrible moments of life and making them not be as powerful. Because if we go into this mindset of, oh, my gosh, this was a horrible moment, then it's one. This catastrophe is one. But if we go, it's just stupid. This has no meaning. I'm going to make a joke about it. That's why I love comedians so much. Mm-hmm. Except they just they can say anything and everything. <laughs> and like Lorelai is so absurd. She goes just like way over here into this outer space area. And I think that that makes a lot of sense for her. On the drive home, Lorelai tries to talk to Rory to make sure that she's not going to the dance for her and not because she's too scared or nervous. Which I like Lorelai giving her this pep talk because she's not trying to pressure Rory. She understands that Rory is very timid and cautious. And I truly believe she is like this for the rest of her life, even though a lot of people will disagree. She's always been this way. She's very shy. She's very analytical. And she does not really put herself out there. Lorelai knows that and so she's trying to make sure that she has a very full teenage experience. She doesn't want her to be in her 30s or 40s with regret. She doesn't want her to miss out on something because, you know, if her mom doesn't think it's cool or if her friends doesn't think it's cool, she wants her to make her own decisions and experience life, which I appreciate. 
she's raising her daughter so that she's not her mother. <laughs> like, Lorelai is giving Rory these choices, so she's like, I'm not going to be my mom. I'm not going to be the one that's like, you should go to the dance. It would be fun. You're a girl. He's a guy. This should happen. You shouldn't. No, she's like, I could do this. As opposed to, you're a teenager. You don't know things. You should go. And I really appreciate that about this character. And I think it's actually, I think it was really groundbreaking for a series, especially a domestic drama like this, giving kids the choice to make their own choices and that their parent is giving them that permission. Obviously, it's the premise of the show, that they're best friends, so it comes with the territory. But this is just a really great moment where it wasn't this, OMG, let's push Rory to go to the dance. It's, why does Rory not want to go? Here are these reasons. How can we make it better? So I don't know. I love that about her. Oh, ding, ding, for sure. And I definitely talk a lot about Lorelai, how she projects her own situation onto Rory pretty consistently. I think you brought a really good point up because I am a millennial, as is Rory. We were millennials in 2000. And that's kind of a stigma against millennials because we are the soft generation because we're the first generation that got participation trophies and we have safe spaces and we had to grow up in a pretty crazy time. We had 9-11. We had the first major school shooting, you know, like millennials. Yeah, yeah, we should be soft because we've gone through some shit. (laughs) But a lot of that, I think, is just because the generation right before that had to go through civil rights and they had to go through Reagan economics and they had to go through the Vietnam War. They had to go through their own shit. They did not want their children to go through the same shit. And that is what millennials are. We also grew up with technology being a pretty big focus of our entire life. I think it makes a lot of sense for Lorelai because because of just how old she is. She's kind of at the end of this. Being born in like 60s and like growing up through the 70s. And then she actually has a forward thinking brain. So even though she grew up in a very wealthy house in the 80s, I'm sure she probably noticed that other things were happening outside of her economic social circle and was like, hey, this isn't cool. I kind of love that. That's actually fair. (laughs) That's actually I, I never thought of it like that. But you're right. It's she's right the cusp. Well, she mentions that Rory has never been to a dance and her only information on the subject is the movie 16 Candles, a 1980s John Hughes film starring Molly Ringwald. We can talk about this movie in detail because it's really not a very PC movie for 2020. Not at all. In the next scene, we see Lane and Rory walking across a snowy stars hollow town square. So our last episode was Love and War and Snow, and I went on a pretty long rant. I think I actually brought it up several times about how bad the fake snow was in that episode. But in this episode, I think they did a good job. It looks like they actually manufactured some faux snow, like wet snow. It does. It looks like it, right? I think it was definitely an aesthetic thing they were doing for Love and War and Snow. It's the first time we see snow in Stars Hollow, so it was like, let's do this. I don't think you're wrong. I just think it was bad. (laughs) So Lane and Rory are talking about Rory going to the dance with Dean and Rory refers to him as her gentleman caller. And Lane responds with, okay, Blanche. Okay. So all these years, 
ever since this episode aired. I always assumed they were just being silly and were referencing Blanche from Golden Girls. Nope. No. And maybe it's because my mind just goes to Golden Girls because that's also one of my favorite shows. Well, it's a great show. And she mentions Gentleman Taller. Yeah, sh- right? Blanche is a very vibrant Southern belle with an active sex life. We know this. It's not far-fetched. But when I actually looked up this reference, the internet told me Rory is actually referencing Tennessee Williams' play The Glass Menagerie, whereas Lane would be referencing the Tennessee Williams' play A Streetcar Named Desire. Yes. The theory is that they put this in this scene to point out how Lane lacks in literary references next to Rory, which I kind of just want to continue to believe that she's talking about Blanche from Golden Girls, Blanche Devereaux. Wow. I knew it was Tennessee Williams and like Streetcar and then like the other stuff. But the fact that it was kind of put there to show that Lane lacks in literary knowledge is hurts my heart. Yeah, I don't like that. First of all, I don't like anything that degrades Lane ever. No. Because she's a VIP. And we don't really know unless we were to talk to Amy herself. So if I, I think I'm just going to personally choose to believe my own version. And yeah. I'm I'm going to allow everyone else to believe their own version. What do you think? Do you, Have you always known that reference? I've known the reference. I knew that it was... That's what it was going off of. Um, I never actually thought of it as Golden Girls, just because I knew that Amy Sherman Paldino's writing was very, was all about old pop culture. And I felt like if a Golden Girls comment was made, it would have been much more in a comedic sense. And these kids to me are a little bit more in like the 40s and 30s. I mean, her mom, for goodness sake, like watches the old movies. Yeah. Um, So for me, I did know that. No, that is that makes a lot of sense. And I think you're right. I think it, it I think that is what makes sense with how we what we know about the Gilmores, you know, I just uh, I just really like Golden Girls. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as diehard for it as say my my gay brothers. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate it. And I think it is a brilliantly written show. I also love in this scene that Rory says, yes, Lane, I know babies come from the stork, which I just love. It's such a snark and funny throwback to Lane because, you know, it just shows they've probably already had that BFF conversation about sex and things like that, because I know, I know that's what I would have done. I I did do that with my best friend, you know, so I just think that's such a funny little friend moment that we get to see. So they get to Dosie's market and Lane wants Rory to go inside and ask Dean about the dance, but purely for her own entertainment because apparently, right? Because apparently Mrs. Kim caught Lane watching VIP and threw out their TV. Now I was 15 in the year 2000 and I also was not cool in the year 2000. I'm not surprised that I didn't know about this show. I've never heard of it before. I also, I always assumed she was talking about some kind of like celebrity gossip show on like E or something, but that's not what that was. Yeah, it's not what that was. Um, VAP was a series starring Pamela Anderson. And in this show, Pamela Anderson somehow works at a hot dog stand. And just put that in your head for like a minute. Pamela Anderson working at a hot dog stand. And then she accidentally saves a celebrity She's mistaken for a bodyguard and then becomes a bodyguard. (laughs) 
And this aired from 98 to 2000. And I'm just Pamela Anderson at a hot dog stand becomes a bodyguard. I'm not surprised this hasn't gone down in history. (laughs) Well, Rory walks in and tries to ask Dean to the dance. And Dean is being a fucking asshole. And I hate this scene because it's so cringy to me because of how terrible he's being. Well, it's just the fact that he's not jumping onto it, that he's not like, hey, I would love to take you to the dance, period, the end. Right? That she has to like reason with him while she's stacking peas. It's just like, it's crap. He's like, uh, I'm just like, you're just a jerk. You're just a jerk. I. This is a guy who was like stalking her. He's like reading books for her. She brings him cookies. Like, where's this coming from, Dean? A pretty girl that you like asks you to a dance. You say yes. This is always the thing about him that's always pissed me off. And whenever people are like, I'm a Dean stan, I'm like, okay, so you are a stan for somebody that has to be bribed to do anything for the person he's dating? I would leave that boy high and dry if it was like, I'll do it as long as you watch BattleBots with me. Like, what the crap? You're right. He does that all the time, doesn't he? But like you said, eventually and hesitantly, he agrees to go to the dance. Back at the Gilmore house, Lorelai is fixing up Rory's dress for the dance when it falls on her and she has a back spasm. But luckily, Suki is there with thread and also a whole drugstore in her bag. And her hair style (laughs) with this. It's just the most early 2000s hairstyle and it's oddly dark. Well, let's talk about what Suki has in her bag. She has an ace bandage. She has Percodan, which is a painkiller with aspirin and opioids. Vicodin, which is a painkiller with opioids. Darvacet, which is a painkiller with opioids. And an unnamed muscle relaxer. Is Suki a drug lord on the side, or do you think she's addicted to opioids? I think that she gets in so many accidents that she goes to different doctors and they prescribe her another painkiller for the accident that she got in. Like, that's what I've always thought is I'm like, this girl gets in so many accidents that she can't go to the same doctor because it happens so frequently. So she's just... I think that, and because of how often she goes, I think she might have an addiction to painkillers. That's not her fault. It's just, that's something that happens sometimes. It's why you have to be really careful when doctors prescribe you opioids because they're super addictive, which is why they don't do it that much anymore. I'm just saying, I I can tell you personally, I don't think I've ever walked around with a bag full of opioids before. No. Well, the phone rings and Emily is on the other line because she wants to be involved in Rory going to the dance. But I have to take a quick comment on Emily's outfit in this scene because that is the most unbelievable cardigan that Emily wears, I think, in the entire show. Emily normally wears like satin and silk and Chanel. And she's wearing this weird flower cardigan, which just like it actually jumped out to me because it was so odd. Is it weird, though, that I really love her fashion in this episode? Because to me... It was her, like, trying to be a Gilmore girl. Like, it had a little bit of some some tacky homeliness to it that we've never seen. Emily says, do you want Rory to be bitter? Lorelai suggests that she could be bitter and turn her into the next Oscar Levant. Go on talk shows, heckle Regis. 
Oscar Levant was a pianist and composer as well as an actor. One of the things I know that I have personally seen him in is an American in Paris, but he was also very well known for being very funny and having great one-liners. So he was very well known for going on talk shows like Jack Parr as well as popular panel shows and He was also very well known for being open and openly discussing his mental disorders. Wow. And I think that Lorelai brings up Regis because in the year 2000, Regis and Kathy Lee was the really big show. But I'm pretty sure that 2000 was the year that Kathy Lee left. For a very short time, it was just like Regis Live before Before Kelly Ripa. Before Kelly Ripa, yeah. Next, we are at Chilton and everybody's in line to get tickets for the Chilton Formal. Paris apparently volunteered as a ticket seller, and Tristan is laying on the charm. Paris is a smitten kitten. She cut her hair a quarter of an inch. We also see on the poster next to Paris that the Chilton Winter Formal is Saturday, December 9th at 7 p.m., in case anybody wanted to know. As Tristan walks away, he sees Rory and says, Oh, she's reading again. How novel. Oh, boy, Tristan. I love that joke. I love that joke so much. I don't like his character, but I just love, I love how iconic that line is. Well, the quote-unquote novel that Rory is reading is The Group by Mary McCarthy. I also really like Rory in this scene because she's very smart. She's like very quick and very witty. She's quite sharp and is much more on point because she's usually feels so shy and quiet, but not with Tristan. You're so right. When she's like, you know, that plumber shot that just sends me through the roof. I'm like, you better go. (laughs) Well, part of it is that like, she's just like firing back at Tristan so hard. Like everything that he's given her, she's given it back. Tristan says the guys are supposed to buy the tickets. Rory says, Wow, does Susan Faludi know about this? (laughs) Susan Faludi is an American journalist and author known for her feminism and received claim for her book, Backlash, The Undeclared War on American Women. Rory also suggests that Tristan could take Squeaky Fromm to the dance, which I love this reference because I'm a big true crime fan. Rory is referring to Lynette Squeaky Fromm, who was a member of the Manson family, and she went to prison for attempting to assassinate President Gerald R. Ford, but actually did not receive parole until 2009. So sorry, Tristan, you can't take Squeaky Mm. Fromm. Not yet. Also, hey, it's little baby John Mulaney, the boy played by Jonathan Ficcadenti, is selling tickets next to Paris. We saw that same actor in the episode Rory's Birthday Parties. Wow, I didn't realize that was him. I noticed because every time I see him, he reminds me of a baby John Mulaney. We're back at the Gilmer Girl house. Rory's dress does indeed look amazing. I think it's beautiful. I want to wear that dress. I'm not a huge fan of this dress. Really? You know, it reminded me of like watching an old episode of Project Runway and then being (laughs) like, this dress is current and is tasteful and is provocative. And I'm like, I think it's ugly. You're entitled to your opinion. When I look at this, (laughs) even if it's wrong, not just even if it's wrong. When I look at that dress, I I think that that's really interesting. You think of Project Runway, which I love that reference because the early seasons are indeed quite something. Yeah. 
But when I look at Rory's dress, it reminds me of like Audrey Hepburn in a vintage movie or, you know, something like that, which I think is very Rory. It's also the way I'm going to look at it. So that's that's how I see it. It's it, To me, it looks vintage and classic. That's so interesting. I, I respect it. And it might be our hair. I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah, know? I don't like I don't like the hair. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Don't and know. it's not even that interesting. Like it's not it's not really done up very interestingly it's just done no. up with a lot of hairspray and some baby's breath which is not an interesting flower i know I... <laughs> if that wasn't interesting enough i'm even gonna talk about rory's shoes in a second because rory when she comes in is wearing some fuzzy boots because she says the shoes hurt she'll just throw her heels on when she comes out the door lorelei says she should put them on now so her feet get numb now i'm gonna drop some knowledge for anybody out there who wants to wear heels y'all okay i know that this isn't a fashion podcast but i'm doing it because i also was a person who thought they could never wear heels because i thought that they were just terrible and painful but i don't think that way anymore because this year I actually bought myself a pair of Manolo Blahniks. And they're, oh my gosh. they're super comfortable. And I didn't understand, like, I don't understand why I can wear these shoes. What's different about them? So I actually looked into what was different about these shoes. And I'm going to drop some tips about how you can wear high heel shoes comfortably. So number one, choose a shoe that has a lower angle heel. That means a gradual decline from the top of the heel to the sole. A lot of shoes that are cheaper will have a steep incline and that's what makes it painful. Manolos don't do that. They have a gradual soft decline. Wow. Second, you bandage your third and fourth index toe to bind them together. You can do that with either an actual bandage or use some very comfortable and safe tape to bind the toes together. It sounds weird. It sounds like torture. It is not. It's actually just relieving pressure because those two toes share a nerve and when you walk in heels or when you walk in any shoe or if you have to be on your feet for like like a really long time, like all day, and you're just in regular flats, bind those toes together because it relieves a lot of pressure from that nerve ending and it will feel so much more comfortable walking all day. So those are my tips to be able to walk in heels. Ta-da! Okay! <laughs> Lorelai is getting some extra hairspray and says that it'll be good for all your dances, including one lambada which is a dance from Brazil known as the Forbidden Dance because it's sexy, sexy, but probably will not hold up with moshing, which is a dance where you very aggressively jump around and deliberately slam into other people dancing. Suki tries to help and sprays her face with the hairspray. So she goes into the kitchen. Suki asks if the soap is in the silver bottle next to the sink, but it's not soap. What was it, alcohol? What do you think it was? I know, right? The only thing I was maybe thinking that it could have been was like lotion. I don't know what it could have been. I was thinking it could be like rubbing alcohol, like a surface cleaner or something. But why would it be in this like push down <laughs> thing? Know. You know? Maybe they keep like hot sauce in there. That's genius that's if that's it what is. it is. That's what it is. Signed. The doorbell rings and it's Emily Gilmore. Emily says, that's how you answer the door. Lorelai responds, well, I was all out of saran wrap. All right, everybody, we're going to talk about this reference, too, because I love it so much. It's such a weird, obscure reference, which is why I love it so much. And I only know about it because it's from one of my favorite movies. Have you heard of this idea? Oh, yes, I have. It's because of this movie. Mm -hmm. Like, it's literally because of this film. 
So the original idea actually comes from an author named Maribel Morgan, who wrote a ton of self-help books in the 70s and 80s, specifically directed toward married women and how to keep the men in your marriage happy. But I specifically think of the movie Fried Green Tomatoes, when character Evelyn Couch fantasizes about dressing up in saran wrap to surprise her husband because they're having some spicy trouble in their marriage. I have no idea if Lorelai is referencing Evelyn Couch and Fried Green Tomatoes or if she is actually referencing Maribel Morgan because especially like you said, it's very possible that Amy specifically chose to reference the original text because it's so obscure and it's a little bit more vintage. You know, I think though, because they're so pop culture centered, I think Lorelai and I are very similar in the sense that we will quote something because of a movie that we saw it in. I don't think Lorelai would have known that reference without that. Emily just moves past it because she also does not want to know and just gets very excited about Rory coming out in her dress. And Lorelai gives the best burn. She says, wow, mom, you'd think Ann Taylor was having a sale or something. And it's such a good burn because I don't think Emily shops at Ann Taylor. I think she looks like she does in this scene. But I think Emily's tastes are much more luxury than that. Completely. (laughs) But I love that because I feel like it might have gone a little bit above Emily's head. Just a tad. So that Lorelai had that like upper hand of being like this and her emily knowing it's a diss but not knowing what the actual diss is and just being like i'm going to ignore you see i think the opposite i think emily knows exactly what it is which is why she gives her that look okay well suki is leaving and although i've mentioned this before in this podcast i absolutely hate the slapstick humor that is in suki's storyline in the first part of this show which thankfully dissolves later on however I do laugh every time she comes in and says goodbye to Emily but she's looking at the fireplace because she can't see because I just think it's funny I love the slapstickness of Suki because I just think that that is Melissa McCarthy I feel like as the character progressed we lost some of the quirkiness that makes Suki Suki so for me I would have loved to have seen more of the accident prone. But that's just me. I think you're definitely right. That makes a lot of sense. That is Melissa McCarthy. And for me, it just doesn't make sense with the show. It's not a slapstick show, so it's always just kind of like it's trying too hard. Yeah. Well, Dean has arrived to pick up Rory, and Emily is unsatisfied right from the get-go. Lorelai introduces her to Dean as Emily Post. Emily Post was an etiquette expert, She published a book in 1922 called Etiquette in Society and the Business and Politics and at Home. It became a bestseller and got her to writing etiquette columns in newspapers, which I think is what we think of her as now. Emily is Rory's grandmother, right? Yeah. She's an elder just in terms of society and in terms of respect. She's the matriarch of a prominent family. She's sophisticated. And yet Dean is just like, hi. In his defense, and I can't believe I'm saying it, in his defense, they made a plan that she would meet him. So I felt for him in this for the first time ever because he's like, what's going on? But I do think that the honking was so abrasive. Yeah. 
It was one of these weird things where I feel like it was a comedic thing in the writer's room that did not take. Because we're like, it's a one-hour drama on the WB in 2000. No one's laughing at them. Yeah, that was a hit and a miss for me. And then he does the same thing at the door. I 100% agree with you. That really was not fair to Dean or Rory. Emily put them in a very uncomfortable spot and it was not her business to because Rory is not her daughter. Yeah. And Lorelai is there saying, no mom, it's okay. And Emily undermines her, which is not okay. Rory and Dean head off just as Emily realizes that there's something wrong with Lorelai's back. She decides to stay and take care of her until she feels better. In the truck on the way to the dance, Dean is not much better. Rory's trying to decide whether she really wants to go to the dance or not, but he's just kind of like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And either way, she's a teenager. She wants to feel pretty. She wants to take her super hot boy toy and show him off, have some fun. Dean, you're just like a log, just sitting there, ah, have an emotion about something. I know, I know. He really is just kind of sitting there. Rory is trying to speak her thoughts out loud. She mentions that the kids in her school are like from the movie The Outsiders and Rory is like Pony Boy. Rory is referring to the 1983 movie The Outsiders where the main protagonist Pony Boy is from quote the wrong side of the tracks unquote but is more intellectual than his peers. He's kind of in this place between the greasers and like the wealthier kids. The kids on the right side of the track quote unquote don't accept him either. He doesn't really have anywhere that he fits in. He's the quintessential doesn't know where he belongs kind of character. That's not even really what the movie is about. That movie's wild. Back at the house, it's official that Emily is staying to take care of Lorelai, then begins looking for the back rack candlesticks. I also just want to stop real quick and mention that she looks for them in the front closet which shouldn't exist because later that entrance is open and there will actually be a part that goes directly into the living room (laughs) that's there for some reason again she's looking for the backrat candlesticks backrat is a crystal glassware manufacturer located in backrat france and has been making crystal since 1764 it used to make crystal for the french royalty I think it's pretty cool. Oh! Yeah. You can get back rack crystal candlesticks today. You can go to Saks Fifth Avenue and they are $430 retail for two. Wow. That's my carpet. Lorelai mentions that she trades it in for the monkey lamp, but there's no way that monkey lamp costs $430. So what does she do with the rest of the money? Well, exactly. That monkey lamp costs $50 at most. So let's just be real here. Plus it was an antique monkey lamp, you know. <laughs> From what era would that have been an antique? <laughs> well, we're back at the dance and we hear the song We're All Light by the English rock band XTC, which listeners may remember we talked about in episode two. XTC is a band nobody thinks about. Do you listen to XTC? I didn't even know they existed. Exactly. So. Nobody does. So I just have to assume that this is a band or album that Amy must really like because it's now the second time she's brought it up. Also, no way that that would be playing at a Chilton dance. No. 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 Rory and Dean walk in and comment on the room. It's beautiful and it looks historical. Well, that's because it was filmed at the Evel Club of Los Angeles. 
The Ebel Club is a women's club that opened in 1894. We'll actually see this location several more times in the show. It's actually where the Chilton Cafeteria is filmed. As Roy and Dean enter, they catch the eyes of Madeline and Louise. Madeline, who has always been the nicer of the trio, is mostly interested in Roy's hair and dress, whereas Louise is more interested in Dean. Yeah. How tall are you? She asks Dean. And Dean says he's 6'2", but actually Jared Padalecki is 6'4". So I don't know if he grew two inches since 2000. I don't know if they were just lying. Oh, also, do you want to hear a fun fact about Jared Padalecki? Yes. His middle name is Tristan. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. That's crazy. They then run into Paris and her date slash cousin Jacob. Jacob is played by actor Kyle Gibson. Well, they don't want to interact because why would you? So Dean and Rory keep going and they dance a slow dance to Fade Into You by Mazzy Star. And it's so romantic that they kiss and poor little Tristan glowers in the corner, wishing he could kiss Rory, but instead he's going to go kiss Sissy. Sissy, who is played by Kara Holden, has a few acting credits under her belt, but none past 2003, and in fact has instead actually been working as a screenwriter for the past 10 years. Wow. Back at the house, Emily brings Lorelai a mashed banana on toast, which apparently is what she used to make her as a little girl whenever she wasn't feeling good. I have to agree with Lorelai here. I'm really not a big fan of bananas, so I can't imagine mashing it on a piece of toast would be incredibly appetizing to me. You know, I tried it because I was so interested. Really? It was not the worst thing I've ever had. Now, would I have it forever? And no. Put Put some honey or, I mean, this wasn't really popular in 2000, but if it were happening today, put some Nutella on there. Oh, yes. But I do love this scene with Emily and Lorelai. Lorelai says that she could eat the burrito cold. She wouldn't mind, but she knows how meaningful it would be to Emily to let her warm it up for her. Emily wants to take care of Lorelai right now. So she gives in and says Emily can warm up the burrito and it makes Emily so happy. It's such a sweet moment, I think, for these characters. Before this, you've really just been kind of seeing Emily as just this person that didn't understand her kid and didn't want to. Even with Rory's birthday parties, this, to me, was the first time that we got to see something between Emily and Lorelai. It's always been about Rory, and it was just this really sweet moment. That, to me, is why this character is so amazing, is that she's not awful. It's just such a generation gap that she doesn't know how to communicate with her daughter. So I I love this scene. 100%. It's not because they don't love each other, because you see here that they love each other a lot. And Lorelai, clearly, people have gotten on to me about this, but I stand by it. She has PTSD with her family. I don't think PTSD is just a physical abuse thing. Oh, no. And so because of that, she's not able to recognize progression. And Emily has a tongue. She has a mouth on her and it cuts. And I think that for Lorelai, what's heartbreaking to see her mom try and connect and Lorelai not accept it. But we have to understand that Lorelai is hurt. She never felt like she had the parents that she wanted. You know, Emily wants so badly to take care of Lorelai, and Lorelai wants so badly to be taken care of by her family, 
but her family is not willing to take care of her in this way. And she's yeah. tried to say, no, I don't want you to take care of me this way. I need you to take care of me this way. And they refuse to do it. And it's because they don't understand it. They think that the way that they're doing it is right. And yeah. Lorelai's trying to say, I'm telling you what I need. And they're just not willing to cross that barrier. That's why this is such a nice scene, because this is a situation that Emily can relate to and she can understand. Now, that's not going to last very long, as we know. It doesn't, and it breaks my heart. <laughs> and I think it's important moving forward, because if all we saw was that other side of Emily, she wouldn't be as cherished as she was. I think it's important for storytelling and for a TV show to show these things and characters, because we know yes. we know that they have the possibility to be redeemable. <sighs> okay. Got to move on before I start to cry. Oh, Back at the dance, we hear Beck playing in the background, his song Mixed Business, which is another song that I do not believe would be playing at a Chilton dance. No. Unless Lane is in a disguise and is DJing this dance. Exactly. I would think there would have been a lot more of just early 2000s top 40 hits because that's what the kids listen to. Well, Jacob, Paris's date, a.k.a. cousin, tries to pick up Rory, which is when Rory finds out that they are, in fact, cousins, which is so delightful. It's like such a delicious moment for Rory. She's just like, oh, boy. She's there with this tasty Dean tree. Paris, her archenemy, is with her cousin. How delicious. Back at the house, Emily and Lorelai are watching a movie. And in fact, they're watching the movie Double Indemnity, starring Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck. Lorelai saying, you could get Fred McMurray to off dad, is a reference to the plot of the film. If anyone's interested. I did not realize that. It's a good one. If you like vintage crime movies, like film noir. Oh, okay, so it's like a crime type thing. Mm -hmm. And this is just another really great scene with Emily and Lorelai, like we talked about. It shows that they can work when they are both willing to be chill. 90% of the time, one of them is not being chill, so that's when it doesn't work. Well, we're back at the dance again, and Dean and Rory are enjoying dinner, while Sometimes Always by the Jesus and Mary Chain plays in the background. I'm sorry, it just would not be happening. I like that band. Would not be at this dance. No. Dean goes to get their coats so that they can go spend some time alone together and just talk, you know, have like a nice end of their date night. When Paris comes over and confesses loudly to the entire dance that she brought her cousin, proving once again that bullies are their own worst enemies. Remember that, kids. (laughs) Dean is on his way back with the coats when Tristan steps in. Dean calls him Dristan, which I always thought was pretty lame, and is apparently a cold and sinus medicine, which makes it even more lame. It's not clever. Wow. I always thought he was just like making fun of his name. That's even worse. Anyway, you spin it. It's really That's lame. lame. Dean isn't known for his witticisms. No, he is not. Well, they get in a fight and I'm just calling this out. This is something I do not like. I can look at this scene a lot of different ways. I see that Dean is not instigating this fight i understand that all he wants to do is get rory out of this room and leave and i appreciate that but they are still both aggressive 
I just, I do not like aggressive men. I do not find this sexy. I don't find it to be the man's man. As a cis woman who is unfortunately attracted to men, and unfortunately attracted to straight men, they're like the bottom of the barrel, I'm telling you. (laughs) Anytime men get physical or aggressive around me, I get very scared, even if it has nothing to do with me. It's very scary. And that's just something that is instilled in me based on my personal experience, based on just things that I've seen happen around me or to people that I know, things that women have to deal with pretty much their entire life. It's not sexy. It's not interesting. But like I said, I, I think that Dean is handling it the best way a teenage boy with a lot of energy could handle it. He does not want to fight Tristan. He does want to just get Rory out of there and go get a coffee. Zero to 100 of it yeah. is what's bothersome. It is. He literally says to him, I'll kill you, you idiot. Yes. But my question is, like, where are the supervisors? Where Good are the question. Yeah. Where are the chaperones? I didn't think about that. Where are the chaperones? Where are the teachers? What is going on? That's something I didn't even think about. And I got to say, we have to remember that it was the year 2000. 9-11 hasn't happened yet. True. It's a different world. We don't think of that. We don't have the safety measures in schools like we do now. Maybe that's why it didn't really phase me. I also think that you're right about Dean going from 1 to 100 because we'll see other times when he does that. They don't try to hide it. It just bothers me that they try to make it look alluring. I don't think it bothered me as much back then. And I think it's taken the last 20 years of being afraid of men for me to feel that way. Wow. That's huge. Wow. Either way, despite what happened, I think that it probably earned Rory a few cool credits at school because everybody saw it. So she's going to come back and they're going to be like, oh, that's that girl. Yep. Well, we step back into the Gilmore house just for a moment, just as Lorelai is falling asleep on the couch. Emily is just loving taking care of Lorelai, and it's so sweet. This is that sweet moment when she says, Mommy, it's just so cute. Rory and Dean are walking through the center of town with their coffees, while the song 13 by the 70s band Big Star plays in the background. They discuss the night's hurrahs, Dean makes it clear that Tristan is doing this because he's into her, which is so obvious to anyone. His he has a thing for you three thing cracks me (laughs) up. Marie accidentally calls Dean her boyfriend and he calls her out on it because he has no chill. Like, can he be excited about anything? The girl he's been chasing for literal months. I know, just said, well, aren't you? And, and like, and it's also not his first relationship. He's dating this girl named Beth before this. Well, they decide that it's totally okay. And they agree that Dean is her boyfriend and she can call him her boyfriend. But they don't, never agreed the other way around. They don't even talk about Rory being his girlfriend. They see that Miss Patty's dance studio was left on lock. And instead of, I don't know, closing the door... They decide to just break in and walk around. Small town charm thing of like everything's open. Everything is just like at our fingertips. Well, they walk around and look at all Miss Patty's stuff and the portraits on the wall, which are actually of Liz Torres. Those are from her years in the entertainment industry. Rory drops her purse and Dean picks it up, but complains about it as per usual. 
Dean is just not very good about helping people when they drop stuff. He's just so awkward about it. It can't be the fact that he's a young kid. Isn't that what you learn in kindergarten? Exactly. Exactly. Rory says that what's in her purse is lipstick, $5 bill, gum, hairspray, and a book. Specifically, the portable Dorothy Parker. Dean reads an excerpt and totally botches it. And he doesn't even read the funniest part of that poem. So, that's right. I'm going to recite that poem for you right now. Yes! There's little in taking or giving. There's little in water or wine. This living, this living, this living was never a project of mine. Oh, hard is the struggle and sparse is the gain of the one at the top. For art is a form of catharsis. And love is a permanent flop. And work is the province of cattle. And rests for a clam in a shell. So I'm thinking of throwing the battle. Would you kindly direct me to hell? That's actually a pretty funny poem, but only if you read the very end of it. Exactly. Well, they sit and start to read a little bit, but of course they fall asleep. Though it's hard for me to believe for a person like me now that they wouldn't wake up in that super cold barn on a beanbag chair. But I know young people, they have a lot of stamina, so I guess they can handle things like that. (laughs) They wake up the next morning when Miss Patty's yoga class comes in. The two ladies who come up to Rory and Dean are played by Maven Hughes and Kay Freeman. Maven is Amy Sherman Palladino's mother wow i also love that miss patty took her dog to this yoga class i know (laughs) it's such it reminds me of my uh, mentor gay hammond well miss patty comes over and wakes them up because it's 5 30 in the morning rory has a complete freak out and they run to rory's house rory shoes dean away she has to do this herself Unfortunately, Rory is not running fast enough because we zip over to the Gilmore house and Emily is awakened and tries to get Lorelai. She is freaking out. I do not want Emily around in a crisis. She is horrible. And it's very, she's very cutting. You know, the scene's really heartbreaking to me, but I also feel like it's so uncharacteristic of Emily to say, you know, you're going to throw your life, you know, you throwing your life away. She's going to get pregnant just like you got pregnant. I think it's a little bit of a writing issue. It's unbelievably villainous. There's, she takes some pleasure in the fact that she's like, she's going to get pregnant. She's going to throw her life away just like you threw your life away. And it's like, you just made her mashed banana on toast and had this lovely evening. And then all of a sudden, Rory didn't come home. And now we're just this utter, just witch with a B. Really? I mean, you talk about PTSD, Emily, we know, woke up one day and her daughter had taken her and her granddaughter out of the house. She had to change her entire life around. She had to tell her social circle that this is what her daughter did, something that no one else in her social circle was dealing with. That's a really good point. That's yeah. a good point on that. I talk about this in the last episode in Love and War and Snow because it's the first time that Rory sees how Emily and Richard were affected by what happened. Though I don't agree with how they handled it, they were still emotionally affected by it. I don't agree with what Emily is doing right now. I think she's being terrible. At the end of the day, I don't care what the fuck your child did. You support your child. 
and a story yeah. and a story. Yeah. You still have to be their parent. You have to be loving and supportive, especially because no one actually did anything wrong right here. You're right that there's no reason for this. This is a piece of trauma that Emily refuses to work through, which we do accept for part of her character. So, yes. of course, it's going to explode all the time. And it does through literally throughout this show. Exactly. That's a really good point, though, that you bring up that Emily has been through her own PTSD and there's a part of panic. I think the thing that I disagree with is how she goes about it. There's a deviousness with her that she's almost going, ha ha, as if Rory doesn't mean as much to her as she says that she does. That's what's unbelievable to me is that why is there not this panic from her? Why is there this mockingness to her daughter? Maybe it's like if Rory does come home and they find out that she's pregnant, Emily will almost kind of be let off the hook. It's not her fault. This is just something that happened. See, it wasn't my fault. Yeah, no, that's actually a really good point. I don't have children. I plan on keeping it that way. But I do hear it when people say, oh, just wait till you have your own. You'll see. It does kind of feel like that. Well, I had to deal with this and now you have to deal with it. And that would be the satisfaction of like what you did to me. Now it's going to happen to you. That's just so childish to me. That's not motherly. But that's pretty common in our society. Like that's pretty normal. I think it's more the context of it. It'd be one thing if it was like, She's gonna. She goes on a date, and Lorelai brings this up, and she's like, "Well, you know, you never know." It's the fact that Rory's missing that she yeah. has no idea where she is. She doesn't know she's dead. It's just so overly dramatic, and it to me is very much a product of like the early two thousands in drama, teen networks, Degrassi type drama. And that is, I think, why it gets me. It's almost as if you've been playing a role in front of Rory that you're this, like, caring grandmother, but you're actually just a terrible person. You're right, though, because one thing I for- I totally forgot to think of, because watch the scene, you're too busy watching what's happening between Lorelai and Rory. I forgot to think, why isn't Emily worried that Rory has been hit by a car or is kidnapped? Is she not worried about that? Her first thought is that she is out getting pregnant with Dean and not, oh my God, I hope that Rory is okay. And you're right. That's pretty messed up. I don't know. I'm I'm sorry that I'm so like gung-ho on my stand, but there was just this sense of how bad can I get? Yeah. How much can I hurt you? (laughs) Sorry to get on a tangent about that. That's all right. Please. That's what we're here for. This is your place to let it out. Yeah. (laughs) Well, in the middle of this panic, Miss Patty calls. She confirms that she found Rory. So she should be home any second, but she was with Dean. And that's what causes the Emily big freak out. You know, Lorelai hops off of the couch and she's running around. She grabs the phone. She's talking to her mother. She starts making coffee and she is awfully flexible for a woman who just had a severe back spasm the night before that was so bad she couldn't move. I'm just saying. I feel like I have had similar blow-ups with my family. And I feel like they are the same reason that you mentioned before, because there's just this generational communication gap. But what's funny is that you also said this. It was when I was a teenager or when I was in my early 20s. But at the end of this fight, 
the way Emily is talking to Lorelai, it's something that I definitely understand. There was a scenario in my life where I was in a car accident and it was because my car stalled while making a left turn. So technically it was my fault, but technically it wasn't my fault. It's not something that happened because I wasn't paying attention. And the car got totaled. I was okay, except for I hurt my arm really, really badly. I had it in a sling. I actually lost my job. And my dad had to come down and take care of the car. So he didn't say like a word to me all day. We went and took care of the car. He wasn't speaking to me. So he dropped me off at my house. And I'm sitting there, my arm in a sling. And he finally just starts going into, my insurance is going to go up. I can't believe you did this, blah, blah, blah. Didn't ask if I was okay. Never mentioned my arm in the sling. So as he was going, I just said, get out of my house. I was, I think, 22 or 23. And I always think of that experience when I watch this episode because it was definitely very similar to how I was feeling. And I understand where Lorelai is coming from in this scene because I was Lorelai. My dad is not a bad man. I love my family. We're cool now, but we have had a lot of uncool moments and a lot of growing up. I definitely connected to Lorelai because they had similar issues that I had with my parents. And this is a really good example of that. Specifically, the end of that fight. It's very relatable to me. But again, I was not 32. I was like 22. So there is definitely a pretty big difference there. And like I said, at the end of the day, your kid just wants love. It doesn't matter if they're in their 30s. It doesn't matter if they're in their 20s. When they screw up, they just want to know that you're going to be there for them. Yeah. And that includes Rory with Lorelai right now. Because as this is happening, Rory sneaks in quietly and she hears that Lorelai is sticking up to her to Emily. But as soon as Emily leaves, Rory comes in and Lorelai starts laying into her. And she's doing the same thing that Emily was doing, which is she is projecting her own feelings onto her daughter, which is not cool. No, I feel like the the difference with with Lorelai is that Lorelai is like, we're not them. You're supposed to tell me these things. And believe me, there are many times where I'm, like, not standing up for Lorelai. I think there are many times that she doesn't give Emily a chance. But this scene in particular, I feel like Lorelai's anger towards Rory is more of, we don't do this. We don't do this. We keep in contact. Do you not understand how big of an issue that this is? And now that my mom was here. And, you know, is there a little bit of selfishness there? Sure. But also something to keep in mind is that Emily is newly in their lives again. And Rory calls her out on here perfectly. And I think that Rory is in the right. Lorelai does do this, but I think what Lorelai said to Emily is right. I think that how Lorelai treated Rory is wrong because Rory did not do it on purpose. And God knows I've made much worse mistakes in my life. Like I said, all you want is to know that you're going to be okay when you come home to your parents. And Lorelai's not giving that. She doesn't even give... Rory a chance to explain. But I can feel for someone who does have a kid, just spent the last 20 minutes thinking that kid could be dead. I I understand that. But then Lorelai says, you are going on the pill. I mean, who are we right now? Yeah, it's good acting, but I think it's very, very dramatic. It's out of panic. It's like an overcorrection. 
I've talked about this in every single episode before now. They have a pretty big boundary issue and they have a role reversal issue. And Rory often has to be the parent in a lot of their situations. And this is a situation in which Rory knows what's up and she's trying to get the comfort of her parent and she's not getting it. And she once again has to tell it like it is. But she is a teenager, which is why she runs into her room and slams the door. Her brain is not fully developed, so she doesn't know what to do with these teenage feelings. And they're so much stronger. Even though she knows she's right and she knows mentally what's happening and what's going on. And she does say, you're only mad because grandma nailed you on it. She still has all these teenage feelings bubbling up inside, which is why she has to go in her room and slam the door. Because when you are a teenager, you just, you can't handle it. It does feel like you're about to explode because <laughs> there's yeah. nowhere to go. Like you're a teenager. You have no autonomy. You can't articulate everything yet. You're not physically done. Yeah. And she leaves and... Lorelai is left at the table by herself with tears of frustration and her head in her hands. <sighs> and that's how we leave the scene. And I'm telling you, now that I'm really looking at it, we do not get a lot of happy endings in Gilmore Girls episodes. At least not so far. No, not really. It's very either metaphoric or slightly jabby or just super dramatic. Well, we're going to end the episode. We're going to move on to the last part of this podcast, which is the last segment. Ready for this? Do, 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 do. Now we're at the arts and entertainment shelf. This is the segment where we talk about the movies, music, TV, books that are in every episode. In this episode, the movies referenced are Midnight Express, The Outsiders, Born Losers, 16 Candles, Double Indemnity, and loosely referenced Fried Green Tomatoes. So I know we talked about these movies a little bit, but are there any favorites or do you have any strong feelings about anything on this list? I mean, I love Fried Green Tomatoes. I love Jessica Tandy anyway. And Kathy Bates is always amazing. But I watch this movie with my mom all the time and... It's interesting, before I came out, there was a much of stigma about lesbianity and gay lifestyle, if you will, being very taboo and not a thing that they talk about as much. And so now that my mom is like not on that train anymore, that she's all about gay rights, totally a different woman, watching Fried Green Tomatoes with her now, as opposed to then, is like this wonderful thing because she's like wanting them to get together. And she's like, they were lesbians. They were they were clearly <laughs> meant for each other. And I'm like, remember that, mom, because you did not say that in 2011. But I'm glad that you're saying it now. This is one of my all-time favorite movies. I also grew up watching it. Of course, I think I'm a little bit older than you. So I was watching this in 1991, not 2011. (laughs) But I literally did grow up watching this with my mom as well. She's a big fan of the movie and Kathy Bates. She's the one that introduced me to this movie. But growing up, I had no idea that they were lesbians because the movie is so subtle about it that if you're a kid and you're not like, 
thinking about lesbians, you're not going to necessarily see it. Totally. So I'm sure there was probably a long gap at some point, like probably when I went to college where I wasn't watching it as much because I was in college or whatever. And then I watched it again in my 20s and I was like, oh my God, wait a minute. Is this movie supposed to be about them being lesbians? And then I bought the book and I read the book and the book is just like literally Iggy says, but I'm in love with her even when she's a kid. You know, the book lays it out like, hey, this is a story about two lesbians who are in love, but they, you know, live in the 1920s. So they can't do anything about it. It was so funny reading that book and just being like, what the hell, movie? Like, I understand you came out in the 80s, but come on. And I got to ask you, because there's a lot of debate. At the end of the movie, do you think that Miss Threadgood is Iggy? Oh, 100%. I, I still am not sure never seen midnight express i've never seen born losers i've never seen a full billy jack movie because that is just not my genre i i'm not into westerns i'm not into movies from the 70s and 60s i'm not into action none of it appeals to me but i am part native american so billy jack is like a thing even though i don't believe the actor was native american the actor he started these films because he lived and worked around native people and he saw how badly they were treated and so he wanted to create a character that was cool and badass which he did and so the whole premise behind the billy jack movies and storyline is that billy jack is supposed to be part navajo which doesn't make a whole lot of sense from where he lives but that i digress he's supposed to be half indigenous and half white and he's this fucking badass and he takes down really, really, really bad people by using like karate and cool fighting skills, which I guess the actor really had. So he wanted to create these Billy Jack movies, but the studios were like, mm, I don't know. And then he was able to get this role in The Born Losers where he kind of like put in his Billy Jack role because his films hadn't been accepted yet. And Born Losers was so popular. And when it came out, everyone was like, fucking yeah, Billy Jack, yeah. (laughs) So then he got all these Billy Jack movies after that. So in the Native community, Billy Jack is a thing. I don't know how to describe it because he's not Native. (laughs) It's, It's just weird, but it is a thing. So that's why I know about Billy Jack, but I have never seen a movie outside of Gilmore Girls. No, me neither. I actually did watch quite a few scenes on YouTube for this episode. Oh my god, it's so bad. It's exactly what you think it is. It's just like so stupid and fake and cheesy. It's never been my (laughs) cup of tea. I understand it's for some people, but not for me. So... You've never seen Double Indemnity. Again, if you like no. if you like classic films and if you like murder mysteries or like film noir, I definitely recommend it. So last on this list is 16 Candles. So are we ready to talk about 16 Candles, everybody? Let's talk about it. You know, like I said, I don't know how much we'll be able to add to it because I've only seen it twice and it was a long time ago. Sure. But Well, 16 Candles is a movie I also grew up with. I watched, I've watched that movie so many times. I don't even know how many times. My sisters are a lot older than me. And if they were watching it, I was watching it, etc. My sister was really into Molly Ringwald. So that was a whole thing. And again, growing up, I didn't really think much of it. I thought Jake Ryan was super cute, as everybody did. But that movie has just a lot of really terrible and unnecessary parts. (sighs) 
I, I probably should have made a list because there's so many. In the beginning of the movie, there's a joke or slight about black men. Molly Ringwald's character is joking with her friend. Yeah. There's a super racist Asian character, like hella racist, probably one of the most racist Asian characters in film history. Uh. And of course... There is just blatant rape culture. At one point in the movie, the quote-unquote geek of the movie gets a pair of Molly Ringwald's underwear and then charges money so the other boys in school can look at it. And at the end of the movie, Jake Ryan literally just gives his intoxicated girlfriend to the geek so that he can have sex with her. And it's seen as totally cool and normal. And when said girlfriend wakes up, She's totally into it. There's a really good article that talks about 80s rape culture in these 80s teen movies. Another really good example is Revenge of the Nerds, where the whole thing was that as long as the girl likes it, it doesn't count as rape. And this is a really good example. She wasn't conscious. She didn't consent. She doesn't remember it. But she thinks that she liked it. Therefore, it's okay. Oh, it's so bad. Oh, my gosh. So there's a lot of reasons why I cannot watch this movie ever again. I respect that. I do. Moving on to music. The music referenced in this episode are the band 98 Degrees, the musician Tom Waits, XTC and the song We're All Light, Mazzy Star and the song Fade Into You, Beck and the song Mixed Business, Jesus and Mary Chain, the song Sometimes Always, and the band Big Star and the song 13. I mean, obviously 98 Degrees is at the top of all of our lists, right? Yes, but after that, it's just kind of... I was super into 98 Degrees. I'm not going to pretend like I wasn't because I was. That's okay. And I have never been into Tom Waits, and I know it's cool to be into Tom Waits, but uh, I'm not. The only time I've ever really appreciated Tom Waits is in the revival. Oh, yes. And I think that that was the perfect song because that scene makes me, I I don't even want to talk about it very long because I'll start crying, but I don't like sit around and listen to Tom Waits, you know? And then again, you know, I talked about this in the second episode when XTC came up the first time. I just find that they are a very generic sounding 90s band and I'm just not into them. Mazzy Star, I feel like I've heard that song in the zeitgeist, but I'm not super familiar. Beck I used to be pretty into. There's a little while at the end of high school, early college when I thought it was cool but it wasn't like really my taste. It was just me trying him out. Jesus and Mary Chain is a band I like. They have one of my favorite songs, but Big Star, never heard of them. Don't know who they are. The bands on this list, the only one that I really knew was 98 Degrees. I'm not as well versed in music. So the books referenced in this episode are The Group by Mary McCarthy and The Portable Dorothy Parker, which is a collection of Dorothy Parker. I would love to sit here and sound so cool and pretend like I'm super into Dorothy Parker, but I'm really not into poetry. Though I appreciate a very strong-minded woman, I like her genre. You know, I appreciate her timeline in history being in the 20s when 
it was becoming, you know, the flapper age and women were starting to get more rights and have a voice. And I, I appreciate that. And the excerpt I read today, I did find funny. It's just, you know, I just don't care about writing like that. And The Group by Mary McCarthy is also not a book that I've read, but I found out that it is a book that follows different women and the way they were growing up kind of in the early 20th century and just female roles. And some people say that it's a feminist book, even though that's not why it was written. It's not how it was written. It doesn't have that viewpoint. It literally is just a book about eight women and you just see what their daily lives are like. I'm going to be really impressed if you've read the group. (laughs) Not read either one of these books. And to be honest with you, I'm not a huge book reader. It's not that I don't enjoy reading books. It's just it never has been the thing. I'm like, I'm going to do that. I always aspired to be like Rory in that, but it was just never my thing. Last on the list is TV shows. And the only TV show referenced in this episode is VIP. And I think I've said all that needs to really be said about VIP because I don't I don't know what else to possibly say about a TV show like this. I thought it was going to be like this inside scoop thing. Had no idea what VIP was, but I learned a little bit more of that tonight. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't the only one that thought that, though. Well, that's it for us today. I want to thank you so much again, Benny, for being here. If you are interested in following Benny and checking out his videos, I highly recommend them. You can find him on TikTok at Gilmore Gay or on Instagram at The Gilmore Gay. And also keep your ears open because he is going to come out with his own podcast in 2021 called Mm -hmm. The Stars Hollow Gazette. And I am so excited. I'm so excited about it as well. I cannot wait to get started. It's something I can actually look forward to in the coming year. So that's totally fine. Well, thanks so much, Benny, again. I was so excited to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm so glad I got to. I hope you have a great night. And thanks, listeners out there. We'll see you next time for episode 10, Forgiveness and Stuff. This has been Welcome to Stars Hollow, the podcast. For more episodes, make sure to subscribe to Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. For extra fun, find us on Instagram at at Stars Hollow Pod. The drug holding was this like inside comedic joke with Amy Schumer Palladino because it's the same with Paris when Rory has her panic attack. And she was like, do you want uh, Pro? Do you like, I can't even name the names. She was like, I've also got some other things in the bottom, but popping a couple of them can't hurt. And I'm like, this is a thing. <laughs> like, Whoa. Is clearly, yeah. That's a great correlation.